Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. Fremda, étranger, stranger. Glücklich zu sehen, je suis enchanté. Happy to see you, bleib, reste, stay. Welcome, bienvenue, welcome. Welcome to the February 2016 episode of 3 and 2 and 1. I am your host, David Kilanders, here in my garage in Old Town Orange with my co-host, Ezra the Dog. Say hello, Ezra. Yeah, it's pretty good. He's down there chewing on something at my feet like he usually is because we have to close the door because if I don't close the door and keep him in here, he'll run around like a savage barking at everyone and everything else. So, um, And that will all get picked up by the uh, the recording. So we try to avoid that. And uh, yeah, we keep him in here and uh, he's doing okay. So I apologize for the last couple months. We've had some, we had a different format for a couple shows and then last month I flaked completely. Um, had some issues with a particular guests that had um, promised to come on and then flaked. Um, a couple of them, you know, and I have one here today, actually, so we can actually address that, right? <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about why are you such a flake? I'm not such a flake. I saw that I would come on your show. Right. I didn't specify when exactly. Uh-huh. And when we finally nailed down a date. Look, I'm here. Not yeah, but 24 like- hours after having a fever. Yeah. Feeling rather disgusting. But I felt like you, like maybe you didn't really want to be on the show. No, that wasn't it. it. Okay. No, my weekends are kind of sacred. So who are you anyways? Oh, hi, I'm Dana Ransons. And why do I know you? How do I know you? You and I used to work together at United Way. And how was that? Horrible. <laughs> you want to say that publicly? I, I'm, I say it publicly often. Do it you? was. It was not, let's just say, I'll be diplomatic. It was not a good match. Yeah. You and I are not, we're not a good match working there together. I mean, I thought that was okay. <laughs> no, that, well, that part worked rather well, actually. Yeah, yeah. You were probably my favorite person I ever worked with there. Let's just say that when I left, they now have two people with my title and gave half of my job to a third person who's working part time. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that's cool. But you're you you did interesting things before you got there, and you're doing interesting things since leaving there. So, I'd like to think so. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I like it. Okay, cool. So today's three topics. We are going to stick to the traditional format. First topic is going to be uh, reproductive rights. We're going to talk a little bit about that and how that plays into Dana's history um, in terms of things she's done professionally and I think just her general thoughts about it and kind of where she uh, you know, got her passion for uh, some things around that. Um, we're also going to talk about secular Judaism because I'm neither, well, no, I am secular, but I'm not a Jew. So I'm gonna find out, <laughs> I want to find out how these worlds collide and what it means in 2016 because I think that there's probably, there's a lot I don't know and I think there's probably a lot a lot of people don't know or understand about that. So interested to hear from Dana about that. Disclaimer, being, there's a lot that I don't know. So, <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, you know, I, you know what I always like to say? I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm certainly not the dumbest. So at least I can talk about something, right? Top 50th percentile. Uh, hopefully. God, hopefully. <laughs> Jesus, if I can stay in the top 50%, I think I'm doing okay. Um, and then finally, we are going to talk about baseball because pitchers and catchers reported this week and Dana's clapping right now with a huge <laughs> grin on her face. Um, and I have, I have mixed feelings about baseball. I have, I have the perfect love and hate relationship for it. And we'll talk about how and why and all of that. So, so how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Where are you from? New York. originally. Yeah. What part? Westchester County. Westchester. What's Westchester County like? Um, it's not like 
anything out here that I can really compare it to. How's it like compared to the rest of what people's perceptions of New York are like? Uh, it's suburban. I think people think of Westchester County and Long Island as one and the same. Mm-hmm. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. people afford to live in Westchester County? Uh, certain people can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is Westchester County where Scarsdale is? Yes. It is, is it? Okay. Yeah. And I'm that's not from Scarsdale. Just, <laughs> just for what full disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> so is is Scar is Scarsdale is I think one of the highest per capita income places to live in the or like the average. Per, I think I'm not totally sure. This is one of those things like I'm in the probably bottom 50% like knowledge wise on something like that or like smartness but you know you do have a phone there and I'm pretty confident if and I have a laptop here we could look it up but I'm, I'm I feel confident in saying that's one of the more it's definitely one of the higher per capita income counties in the country with my or cities. anecdotal yeah yeah evidence in my brain did yes, you spend any time there I I did actually spend some time in Scarsdale doing I, what summer school <laughs> for being bad in school for, for not for being good at school. <laughs> you don't go to summer school if you're good at school. I don't. Well, maybe you're an overachiever. Enough, I don't know. Um, I had I did have to retake a math class okay. in summer school, and the schedule didn't really work out well, bus wise, or having one of my parents drop me off. So they were like, "Well, since you're there already, why don't you take a computer class?" So <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds so I, like. It just sounds so like, hey, you just got out of prison. What are you going to do? Take a computer class. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> yeah, like that no, random exactly. throw in thing. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to take a computer course. Yeah. Well, I was at the mercy of public transportation and yeah. my parents. Yeah. So mm, that's good. So how long did you live in Westchester County? Um, almost all my life. We moved there when I was almost four. From where? From the Bronx. Oh, you're from. Okay. So wait, hold on. You're not from Westchester County. You're from the Bronx. I'm originally from the Bronx. Yes. What part of the Bronx? Uh, the kind of the northern part, like uh, Yonkers. No, not, not Yonkers. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I want to be. I want to be from. Yon- I wish I could say I was like from Yonkers, just because it sounds awesome. I've driven through it once, but just Yonkers. It's just a cool name. It is a cool name. It's a cool place too. Is it? Yeah. I don't know anything about it except I drove through it once, but I did it between going from Poughkeepsie, New York, which is oh yes, I know Poughkeepsie well an interesting place in and of itself they have a great pizza place up there or at really? least they used to i'm not sure if it's there anymore but really it was the halfway point between westchester where i lived and where i went to school in troy new york so, yeah so we're okay so you start in the bronx you're mm-hmm. four you moved to westchester county and then where'd you go to college in upstate new york in troy new york birthplace of uncle sam mm. went to an all-women's college up there uh russell sage college <laughs> you went to an all-women's college i did go to an all-women's college Interestingly enough, my chemistry teacher, my high school chemistry teacher, had gone there. and not So that, she was also, that was also a woman, I assume. Yes. <laughs> very, very good. Yeah. Uh, she had gone there. And not that she and I were very close or even had all that much in common, but she just recommended it. She thought it would be a good match for me. So I said, okay, well. Did she like see... <clears throat> did she like see something in you that said, you know, in order to keep this one out of trouble, she should go to an all women's college? It's entirely possible. That is entirely possible. Um, and she wasn't wrong. It was, it was the perfect choice of a school for me. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. loved it there. What'd you major in? In biopsychology. Biopsych? Mm-hmm. What the fuck is biopsych? Yeah. I took, it was kind of a new major that they were cobbling together when I went there. So I took some psych courses. I took some bio courses, more psych than bio. Um, and I took, a biopsych course. They only had one that melded the two at the time that I went there. So it's like a double major, essentially. 
Um, I mean, what, I mean, it yeah, obviously it wasn't, it was, but it <laughs> it wasn't. It feels pretty separate. Right. Yeah. It feels pretty separate. Yeah. yeah. So, what did you like more, the bio or the psych? Oh, the the psych, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that they had more of a diverse offering of psych courses than they did of biology courses. So it appealed to me that I could specialize in like child psychology or educational psychology mm-hmm. or kind of branch out in a couple different directions. Just... While still being a bio psych major, so to speak. Yeah. <clears throat> that's uh, that's interesting. I liked it. I did, liked it. It was like, I got, we got to do gametogenesis with sea urchins. That was the bio part, but yeah. Okay. That sounds interesting. So did you have a good experience there? I did. I had yeah. a great experience there. Yeah. Okay. It was fun. Fast, fast four years, but some of the best four of my life. Did you do any time in summer school? No, not no. since the Scarsdale. My <laughs> the stint, Scarsdale my incident. My stint at Scarsdale. Scarsdale yeah. incident. Yeah. There's probably an album named that. <laughs> Someone's got a song or an album. I know every time I like, I, I think it's even on the Rent soundtrack. One of the guys who's like, you know, the quote unquote poor starving artist is from Scarsdale. You're big into musicals, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. How many have you been to? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I'm not even sure. Really? I'm not even sure. It's cool. When I used to visit New York, I used to really like going to musicals. That's, that's what you got to do there. Yeah. I know. It's really cool. I, I mean, LA, we don't have quite the same theater. It's not even close, but we don't have a, we don't even have a great theater. Not, well, I mean, you get all the touring shows, so you get yeah. that. But you get them but, so far, so long after they've come out on Broadway. Right. right. But it's not, I mean, LA isn't for live theater. Yeah. I We have a, actually, what I think we have a pretty good we have a better market for drama on stage plays than I think people give credit to, but, Absolutely. Um, but musicals, it's not the strongest, but that's okay. Yeah. You'll still get shoot shows like debuting in yeah. LA that make their way to New York. And yeah, that's yeah. good. So, um, okay. So then you go to college. So then I go to college. Then what? I wasn't really sure. Um, so a friend of mine that I'd gone to college with is from suburban New Jersey um, outside of Philadelphia and we knew that we wanted to live in the same city and we weren't, we were kind of torn between DC, Baltimore, Philly, New York, and Boston. That Those are very different cities. So basically the Eastern seaboard. Right. I mean, those are very <laughs> different corridor. cities. Like people, yes. people who are, are from here would look at LA, San Diego and Orange County and go, Oh, they're just different places. But mm-hmm. like, Baltimore is nothing like Boston. Right. And New York is nothing like DC. Like it's, it's that same kind of thing. But I think people here sometimes like look at the, you know, those cities and go, oh, they're also, they're all an hour apart from each other. So they must, you know, <laughs> must just be like this homogenous, like one big urban sprawl. But it's like their cities are so different. The they culture, are. the tempo, everything is just so different about yep. all of them. Yeah. Which ones do you like the best? Um, well, New York, just because of proximity to my family is, probably top of my list on the culture. I love the culture there, but I, so we, we ended up choosing Philadelphia. I lived there for 10 years and I absolutely fell in love with that city. It is, they call it the sixth borough sometimes. Really? Yeah. I've never heard that. I know it's, it's not something you hear often. And I think it's cause it's still an hour and a half from the city, right? Yeah. 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 On a good day. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I think it's more people from Philadelphia who call it the sixth borough than people from New York who call it the sixth borough. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's a very manageable city. I was able to buy a house on my own when I was living there and still walk to work from where I was able to. Could you still do that now in 2016? Like if, if the circumstances were the same, 
or have prices in a city like Philadelphia, like a lot of urban America just shot up so much that it's pretty hard for a young person who's fresh out of college. To it's, it's gone up quite a bit because there's also a lot of new construction there. They, yeah, you know, right. they leveled a lot of old buildings, which was a good thing for the city. Um, and Careful. That's gentrification. Right? Well, and there's been, I mean, so one of the things that was a big problem in Philadelphia is what they call the, the brain drain. People would come to Philadelphia go to school, and then leave. They wouldn't stay. Right. Uh, so there was actually a really low percentage of people living in Philadelphia with college degrees, hmm. um, even though we had medical schools, law schools, great colleges and universities. The only school in, in Philly proper I can think of is Temple. UPenn. Penn, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. It's not in Center City, Yeah. But it's still in... Philadelphia is pretty sprawled out. There's Northeast Philly, there's Center City. I've been there a couple there's times. I really like Philadelphia. It's a great, great city. Really yeah. easy to live in. Great town to eat in. Yeah. That whole South Street thing is, I mean, it's kind of touristy, but, you know, there's still cool stuff in and around oh, yeah. the area that, you know, makes it worth a stop for sure if you're going from D.C. to New York. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, Philly Philly has its own vibe. It's it's a great, it's a very, very walkable city. Yeah. Um, if it's just a very livable city. So you're there for 10 years. I was there for 10 years. Just shy of 10 years. What brought you out here? A dude. A dude? Yeah. The dude you're, you're presently no, shacking up. Dude. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, so I was working from home at the time and he got an opportunity with his company to work for basically an affiliate. Uh, and so we were like, uh, wouldn't that be kind of great to live in California for like two years? Both of us had family back East um, and this was maybe six or eight months into the relationship. So after we'd been together about oh, wow. a year, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. After we'd been together about a year, we moved out here and we were together out here for about a year and went our separate ways. Uh, and that was seven years ago. And we're both still out here Did yes, Calif- after talking about only coming here for two years. That's amazing. Did California break you up? No. Well, no, I think I can credit California with, being the kind of nail in the coffin, but that, that sounds worse than it is. I think we needed to break up. Um, he kind of wanted to assume an entirely different identity out here. He really wanted to reinvent himself and he really needed to. I don't, it's nothing I fault him for, but I mean, he went so far as to change the name he went by when we moved out here. That's such an LA thing. Like moved out to be, I mean, I don't know this, how this goes, but this, what this, <laughs> this is reminiscent of that moved out to be an actor changed his name. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Started, you know, working the door at a club to try to meet famous people kind of thing. That sounds like all those stereotypical sort of bad, um, bad TV drama shows. Yeah, it it was like that. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then what? Um, well, I had a great job when I was out here and the economy was... Sh- what was that job? I was working for Planned Parenthood Warrant in San Bernardino counties. Yeah, what'd you do? I was their grant writer, manager of grants administration. Did you have a job in Philadelphia that brought you to that job? Like, Sort of. So I um, I was a grant writer in Philadelphia for a nonprofit education reform company. Um, and while I was working there, I started volunteering for the uh, affiliate of Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, what were you doing as a volunteer? Mostly fundraising events. So we did, I want to say quarterly happy hours. <laughs> Around the bar, around the around the city, at different bars. Just got together, talk about reproductive rights. Basically, had a beer. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Yeah. I like it. I could do that. And we got great turnout. I mean, it was just it was a great like casual things. Casual thing for the twenty something, thirty something crowd. 
Okay. So then, so you were volunteering, but you were a grammar. You know, is it strange, like in our, our profession, both being nonprofit professionals, how many people that are grant writers um, basically never intended to ever end up there, but somehow did? <laughs> yeah, so is, that's absolutely true. Why do you think that is? I think it's the writing thing. I think people who are kind of the creative type, like I started out, well, I started out as an admin out of college, and then I got into medical and technical writing and felt the pull to nonprofit after mm. working for a credit card company <laughs> and pharmaceutical companies and feeling kind of unfulfilled. Sure. Um, I can understand that. Yeah. So then, okay, so then you end up out here and you're working at Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So that was, but you volunteered for them before, so it was obviously a passion of yours, right? Yes. So, let's, yeah. so, so we, reproductive rights has always been a passion yeah, of mine. Yeah, so let's get into that. Full disclosure, when I was very young in elementary school, mm-hmm. My first elementary school bus stop was in front of a women's health clinic. It was not a Planned Parenthood. They did perform abortion services a couple of times a week. So there were protesters out there on those days. And this was back before there were buffer zones for protesters. So people were chaining themselves to fences. And And did you witness some of that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. At my school bus stop. (laughs) That's the part that I say whoa about. It's not that, you know, if you're an adult and you saw that, it's like, okay, you know. Yeah. I want to say it was like Wednesdays and Saturdays. But you're probably um, like an eight-year-old saying that or something. If that, yeah. like I think younger than that because when I was older in elementary school, the bus stop moved closer to my house. I didn't have to walk all the way down the hill. But yeah, so I was pretty young. So I, you know, my parents are pretty forthright and they're liberal New York Jews. So they were very... <laughs> very open about what was going on i like how that's a category it is it is <laughs> your dog amazing. is looking the bottom of my foot right now that's what he does that's ezra. <laughs> that's ezra i feel very at home um so my parents actually formed something called the our town our choice committee hmm. to kind of counter some of these protesters and the signs that they were carrying and the fact that it was at a school bus stop and um i remember one time they parked their car down at the bottom of our hill with some very pro-choicey signs in the windows of their car and their tires got slashed your parents oh yeah wow huh that's interesting yeah so how far did they take that my parents yeah i mean did they keep it going for a while or was it just to kind of get the bus stop moved or was it um, something that they no, kind of I, got I, into? I think the, i mean it was not just the bus stop it was also a crosswalk for kids who came from our part of the it was technically a village um <laughs> not even a town <laughs> There were 200 people in my entire high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so it was a you know a major crosswalk for people coming from that part of the village. Yeah. Uh, going to the middle school slash high school, which were in the same building. That's so, interesting. Yeah. So they were in that for a while. I think that the women's health clinic eventually closed up shop or relocated. I think they relocated. Was it due to any of this kind of stuff or? That I don't know. I can't remember going hmm. back. That I was too young to really know why. Yeah. So that was your first kind of taste of yes. this topic? Yes. And how did that sort of go on to shape what you ended up doing or working Well, definitely on my parents' views shaped it and the fact that they were very forthright with me about how they felt, yeah. you know, and, and what their views on the topic were. Um, but then, you know, thinking that I knew so much about it, you know, <laughs> even a teenager and then sure. going to work for Planned Parenthood was very, very eye-opening. So you had a passion for it even as a teenager? Yes. Yeah, my mom's a feminist, so I was a feminist at a young age. Interesting. What um 
so you just kind of gravitated towards it as a volunteer. And then when you had a chance to do it as a job, you took it. I was very serendipitous. Yeah. So I, when I moved out here, it was within about a month that I just I was looking at all these, you know, job board monster, whatever job sure. sites. Um, and I was like, well, let me go onto the Planned Parenthood site and see if they're hiring. And I went onto their website and not only were they hiring, but they were hiring a grant writer. Whoa. Yeah. So what I ended up doing was calling the affiliate that I volunteered with in Pennsylvania and see to see if someone there could funnel my resume through to someone yeah. out here. And that's what ended up happening. It went, I think, from CEO to CEO. And I got a call and I interviewed and I was told on the interview that they loved me, but they had someone, they had an internal candidate and they mm. really felt that they had to promote from within but then that internal candidate ended up finding a job somewhere else wow that's all very serendipitous very very serendipitous it all kind of just worked out yep what um what did you want to do as a little girl when you were like a kid i want to be an actress you did oh yeah really oh yeah look at you're saying it with such conviction (laughs) there wasn't anything else for me and my parents told me well that's great honey but you should really pick a career where you could get like health benefits (laughs) SAG. I mean, SAG has yeah. benefits, right? I mean, yeah, equity. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you answered that so quickly and so just affirming, right? Like, there's just no question. Oh, yeah. No, I never wanted to be like a doctor or, yeah. you know, a writer, even. The same, see, yeah, the, so the same doctor. thing happened to me when I was on the show and I asked somebody what they wanted to be, or not when I was, I'm always on the show. <laughs> As it turns out, this is, <laughs> this is the show that I'm always on. Weird. I know, right? When someone asked me that question, it was the same response. It was not actor, oh. but it was instantly. It was like there was no hesitation. Writer, writer. I absolutely wanted to be a writer when I when I was a kid. There was nothing else I wanted to do. Um, for me, the podcast is the one sort of outlet of almost writing style mm-hmm. um, kind of you know production that I can do that I can get in my life right now. But yeah, it, it, but it was that same sort of the conviction piece, right? Of just like, uh, and that's how it's funny because I think like a lot of people when they think about what they wanted to do when they were young, there's never any hesitation. Like they know they 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 just remember no matter like what age they are now or what they are what they're going on. They remember I wanted to be a policeman. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to do this. And then it's always interesting to see well what what did they actually end up doing? Yeah. Oh, I'm so curious. There's a girl, and I will never forget her response to that question. We were in camp together. And by the time we were in camp together, we were maybe 11 or so. Mm-hmm. And we, we may have been going around talking about what we wanted to be when we were growing up. And her response was, I wanted to be a part-time ballerina, part-time truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cool. I'm very, I, don't, I can't even remember her name, but I'm dying to know what Right now, there's, there's a woman driving a truck from Houston, Texas to St. Louis. With a and, troop of ballerinas. Well, no, she's excited to get to St. Louis so she can, you know, make her recital in time or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that, that, that probably happened for that person because the idea is just so awesome. It's very specific. Very specific. Very specific. That's cool. I enjoyed that. That stuck with me. So the reproductive rights continues to be a passion of yours? Absolutely. I loved, loved working for Planned Parenthood. I stayed there for about five years um, and kind of felt like I wanted to move on professionally and do more general fundraising than just grant writing. And sure. the opportunity just wasn't there. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I would, I would work for an organization like Planned Parenthood again in a heartbeat NARAL now, one of those. Yeah. That was, that's definitely, definitely my passion. What I mean, aside from the upbringing and the bus stop, what is it about that particular topic that strikes a, a real chord with you? 
I think just from becoming a feminist, you know, it's funny. A lot of um, anti-choice people have asked me if I've ever had an abortion and I haven't. I'm fortunate, I guess, in that respect. Um, But I feel really strongly that a Planned Parenthood does so much more than just abortions. Right. And B after working there and hearing some of the stories, watching my six foot seven tall medical director, cry as he told us the story of a woman who brought her 11 year old daughter across the border from Mexico to have an abortion at 18 weeks. You really, it really puts things in perspective and really makes you realize that if they didn't do this, very few other people would fewer and fewer hospitals are doing this. I don't know if you know, but Hogue just merged with St. Joe's and they are no longer performing abortion services because St. Joe's didn't. So now Hogue merging means they can't. Oh man, that's rough. I want to go back to one thing you said, you said you're fortunate and that you haven't had to do that. It's more, I always think of it as, and this is the part where the anti-choice people drive me a little bit crazy is I think there's the perception that, um, that they think for many women, the idea is that you basically, you, it's like this morning I had to get new tires on my car. Mm-hmm. So I called last night. I got a quote. I made an appointment. I showed up. I was happy. The guy was happy to help me. It was a 40 minute thing. And That's so flippant I got my of car. you, David. You should really yeah. um, be forced to look at your old tires yeah. and think about it for 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're like, 18 or younger you should have your parents permission true yeah that's absolutely all true i probably should have sought that (laughs) it's just so awesome it's just it's so perfect because i i was thinking about it this morning while i was the guy was helping me and i was chipper and happy and i was thinking about that we were going to have this topic and i think that's the perception anti-choice people have that that's that's what a woman goes through is it's just i make an appointment and i show up with my latte and i have this done and i walk out and i just go about my life and maybe i get pregnant again and or whatever you know and i just i go on being a slut because that's probably the perception some of them you know think about Mm -hmm. a woman who would do something like that or whatever the reality is what you said is that you're fortunate you haven't had to do that but where you're fortunate is that you haven't been in the position to make that choice. Right. Isn't that the hard, that has to be the most agonizing, difficult part. I mean, the physical part of it is, I can't even imagine. Is, and I've right. heard the stories and I can't even imagine. It's right. like when I have a friend who loses a parent, I feel very <laughs> sorry for them, but I cannot put myself in their shoes. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I have lost a parent. And to me, the... I don't know what it's like to lose a child, but I'm guessing losing a parent runs pretty not. I don't, I don't know. It's not the same thing, but I can imagine that's the only thing worse. Let's put it that way than losing mm-hmm. a parent young. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's not uh yeah. I mean, I think it runs like it runs in that stratosphere. Like you can't explain it to people until they've been through it. No, nope. you know, so it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. And I mean, since becoming a parent, right. You couldn't, explain becoming a parent to someone who hasn't become a parent. I thought a friend of mine posted a great meme on Facebook the other day and it was something along the lines. (laughs) They're all great. All memes on Facebook are perfect. Yes. They're all right too. Of course. And they're all true. They're all true. Especially the quotes. Especially the quotes. Um, Especially if Ted, Ted Nugent was the first one to post it. Then that's just, (laughs) those are always just so accurate. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. What was your meme? So hers was something to the effect of I was a perfect parent and then I had kids end of story <laughs> uh, yeah i i don't know i 
it's interesting. <clears throat> I actually think I'm a really good parent, right? So, and I actually think the thing you learn is that I don't think this is exclusive to me, but I do think that kid shows up, shit just keeps going and you figure it out and you're the same, you, you, whatever, whatever weaknesses or strengths you had before, you still have them after you just learn to cope with them better and adjust for the fact that now you have another life to be responsible for. Yeah. I think, I, I think for some people that's very true. I think for people with more strengths than weaknesses, definitely <laughs> <laughs> has being a parent now for a year and a half or whatever it's mm-hmm. been, has that changed your perspective on some of this stuff in terms of politics or, you know, reproductive rights or kind of how you feel about particular issues, your liberalism and stuff like that? Um, it's definitely broadened my perspective. I don't know if it's shifted it in any one direction. Um, I mean, before I had Hudson, I had two miscarriages. And wow. I had people ask me if that changed my views on abortion, and it didn't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having a child, like, I've only been doing this for a little under a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that's been really, I guess, kind of, there's been a spotlight on it lately on, on rape culture. And I'm thinking, Oh my sure. gosh, I'm raising this boy. How do I make sure that he's, right. you know, not looking at the kind of porn that's going to shape his view of what sexuality should be. I like that. You said the kind of porn, like we're not saying don't look at porn. Oh, look, just, he's a boy. He's going to look at porn. I'm not stupid. Yeah, he is. I can tell you as a male, <laughs> I live with two of them now. Yeah. And so. <laughs> that's funny. You know, for me, if I can talk about myself for a second, go for it. Um, it actually has, I think made me more liberal. I, th- I think what it's done is it's reinforced everything I already knew about living or what I, not because I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be the smartest person, but it's reinforced everything I already thought I knew about living in a society of, pe- of other, with other people, right. Mm-hmm. About, about the fact that we are a community and that, that, that matters and that my actions affect my neighbors and those actions affect the person across town. And like, there's no way of getting out of that. Right. And so, it probably forced me even further away from that idea of individualism being everything. And not that I really had it much before, but man, when you're, when you look at the world and you think about your raising, like your input to that world, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, well, like the only thing I want anyone to ever remember, like my contribution to the world is that my kids weren't assholes. Totally fair. You want to raise good citizens. That's, I, I mean, you want to raise good citizens and you want to do somebody to contribute to the world that you envision for them. Yeah, and but I don't like like they're gonna fuck up because I've, that's how they I've learn. right because I've fucked up. You know what I mean? Like that's just the human experience, right? And the other thing is they're gonna also see what it you know fuck up their dad was at some point. <laughs> I think, and I mean, this has been my case with my parents. I've learned as I've gotten older, they've been a little bit more uh, for, <coughs> excuse me forthright about their fuck ups. Yeah, past, present. Yeah, as well. Yeah, so. you learn they're not perfect. Yeah. That's that, and I mean, for me as a person, that's one of the more startling revelations you have about your own parents. Mm-hmm. Is like when you realize that moment when they're not perfect. My six-year-old today brought me a peanut butter sandwich when I didn't want food, and said, <laughs> "Here, Dad, I made you lunch." And it was like ten thirty, and I was like, <laughs> "All right, thanks." Um, and I was kind of like busy. I was cleaning the garage up or trying to organize it a little bit and stuff. And um, I was kind of like, "Okay, thanks." And then um, he's like, "No, eat it, Dad. It's your lunch." And I go, "Okay." Okay, yeah, I, I will. I'm just I'm busy right now. Okay, like I, like kind of probably sounding a little frustrated with him. Okay, I just wanted to make you some lunch. Bye. And then you know runs back in the house or whatever. Okay, so 
I look at the sandwich for a while and I go, I don't want a fucking sandwich. Like, <laughs> I appreciate that this happened, but I don't want a sandwich. So what do I have to do? I have to tear off seven eighths of the sandwich and leave some crust on the plate, <laughs> throw it in the trash, and then walk the plate back in the house. Go, hey, the sandwich was great. Thanks. And show it to him. Right. Now, how he'll know I'm an asshole is one day when he realizes that his dad was doing those kinds of things. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it just, you know. Or maybe he'll think it's endearing maybe. that, you know, you at least tried. Maybe I just feel like an asshole for having to do that. Maybe. Yeah, I should have fed it to the dog. <laughs> the dog probably would have loved it. Yeah. And probably. it might not have eaten his sandwich. Afterwards. Afterwards. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> dog might have been full, not eating the kid's sandwich. <laughs> so, um, so you no longer work on reproductive rights as much. No, not professionally. Not professionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What um, What are you doing now? So right now I'm working for the LGBT Center of Orange County. Uh, those are director of development, so doing fundraising and events. They do a lot of events, really fun events. Yeah. How's that treating you? I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was brought on board by an executive director who's no longer there, um, but it's a great, great group of people that I'm working with, and they do. They do amazing things with a $1.2 million budget. Do you find any of the work analogous to what you were doing at, um, at Planned Parenthood? Um, some of the advocacy work and the um, like reproductive health education uh, work with youth, yes. Um, but it's, it's different. I mean, Planned Parenthood was an affiliate of a much larger organization, um, so there was a lot less uh, reinventing of the wheel, not in a bad way um, that we're we're doing it now. But yeah, it's just it's it's different. I would say there there's more about it that's different than it than like Planned Parenthood. What when you when you compare the two issues, right? Because mm-hmm. they're both social justice mm-hmm. issues, and they're both very very much at the top of a lot of people's agendas in terms yes. of what's important. Do you see any kind of crossover there? Um, just that there are people who are making it their life's work to, you know, make sure that LGBT and women don't have access to certain rights guaranteed to them uh, or that should be guaranteed to them. Um, but I feel like more progress is being made for LGBT people. Really? Well, we just got marriage equality yeah. nationwide. But I mean, you've been able to safely get an abortion from your doctor for a long time. People keep fighting it, but you've been still able to do that in California as someone who's over 18. Yes. Yeah, no, that's true. I am talking, I guess about our local geography, right? So we're fortunate to live in a blue state, even though we're in the red dot. Yeah. It's pretty sad. What's gone on in Texas around this issue. No, no, not for LGBT. Well, yeah, I mean how they closed. Yeah. But closing tons yes. of health clinics is yes. not necessary. And it's having exactly the repercussions that, you know, people... On the did you see the guy resign today? The Health and Human Services no, Agency Secretary? Because <laughs> they did a study that showed that pregnancy rates will skyrocket if those clinics are closed. Yes. And so data comes out that they don't want... That doesn't support their their ideas. And the person resigned. Isn't that insane? Um. No, not necessarily. I wish it had broader repercussions. I mean, we've been saying that non-comprehensive sexuality education doesn't work. The numbers don't support it, yet it's still being taught. Abstinence only is still being taught. Mother Jones this month has an amazing article about abstinence-only education in Tennessee, and it's unbelievable. They follow around this group. 
it's a woman who she's very young and so she received abstinence only education when she was like in eighth grade in like the year 2000 or something like she's a she's a pretty young person that wrote the article so it's not something that like you know it's not dated in terms of um you know it's not taught the way it was like in the 1950s or something right Mm -hmm. like the person who's writing about it is like had a recent experience with it and so just to hear about how it's actually it's (laughs) some of the stuff it 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 drives me insane because it actually seems like the 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 noose has been tightened right like the vice has been tightened like they've, they've actually gotten less tolerant of um in certain areas of the idea of having sex before marriage or things like that. And it, that's just, I mean, it's 2016. I mean, is it 2016 in Tennessee? Uh, lastly, yeah. I, I don't know. I think 2016 Tennessee looks a little different than 2016 Orange County. I saw some California. Facebook page. It was called modern liberals today. Um, and the, the headline banner picture or whatever said something like, because we already did the 19th century <laughs> modern liberals, because we already did the 19th century. I feel, like it. it feels like that sometimes. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on. Okay. So talk to me a little, what, what does it mean to be a secular Jew? I don't understand it. I mean, I do, I know what it is, but what does it mean for you? Okay. I was just about to say, I think it depends on who you ask. Right. So for me, you know, at this point in my life, and I, I think it's changing a little bit because I've had a child. Okay. But I'll start with, you know, secular Judaism for me. I was raised in a very reformed Jewish household. We went to the holiday, the high holy, um, High Holy Day uh, for synagogue, and that was pretty much it. We didn't light candles every Friday night. We didn't keep a kosher home. My brother had a bar mitzvah. I did not have a bat mitzvah. Um, Do you regret that you didn't have a bat mitzvah? I don't regret it, no. Or rather, do you look back and go, man, that would have been fun? No, because I would have had to have gone to Hebrew school, and I couldn't have maybe done that gymnastics class or summer summer school. Summer school school in Scarsdale. It might have been, might have been, uh, might have, might have impacted uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that would have just been bad. Well, I can see my parents lording that over my head. Like, oh, you have to go to summer school. You're not having a bat mitzvah. That would have been awesome. You can have the ceremony, but not the party. Sure. Sure. <laughs> that That's like right up their alley in terms of punishment. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. So what, <laughs> so, um, so then, okay. So sorry, continue what you were saying. You were kind of saying that now you've had a kid it's a little different yeah so i want him to experience some of the really rich cultural traditions that i grew up with um so it would be great if so my family also lives in new york okay so we go back pretty much every year for thanksgiving okay not a jewish holiday by any means um, but it would be really nice if we could kind of flank that with passover and go back those two times a year so that he could see the passover tradition because passover is one of the holidays that my parents host in their home what's the attraction to doing all this if you aren't necessarily following the religion faithfully or or even a believer i don't even know if you're a would you know stipulate whether or not you believe in god yeah um it, it's the cultural familial pieces of it that's really I important like, to you, huh? it, it is i really liked i have great memories of specifically passover with my family because it was in our home and my parents were hosting it and yeah. I can still picture the Seder plate that my parents have. And I guess it's really no different than the, than Christmas being mm-hmm. important to me as a person who doesn't believe in God. And I love know. that new tradition of having Christmas with my husband's family. Oh, he's not Jewish. He's not Jewish. Oh, okay. He's not Jewish. Okay. Um, and his family does Christmas. And I love that, you know, every year now for the last almost five years, we've 
gone, we've done Christmas Eve at one of his aunt's or uncle's houses. And then Christmas morning, we're at his parents' house and we're opening presents. And now we've, you know, brought our son into that. And he had, he'll have a better time probably next year when he realizes, oh my gosh, all these gifts are for me. But (laughs) (laughs) it's just, it's right now, it's just nice having him there and having him be a part of that tradition. I have to say that Judaism is one of those things I'm, I'm like, how do I say this? Like I'm a fan of it almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, I think that all those things you're talking about are so cool. Like the mm-hmm. ritualistic aspects of it. Um, I think that, you know, friends of mine who are Jewish, who talk about the way their families get together and how they get together is like, it's something that I, I always think, man, in my house as a kid, I don't long for it now necessarily. Cause I mean, you know, traditions are kind of ingrained at this point. I'm going to be 40 in a couple months, you know, and it's just it's like, it Welcome is another club. You're not 40 yet. Are you? Not yet, yeah. but I'm going to be 40 in a few months. Yeah. How's that treating you? It's fine. It's just a number. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Who gives a shit, right? <laughs> I had my meltdown last year and it had oh, nothing really? to do with turning 40. <laughs> so it's like, I'm good. You know what I mean? It's like, it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, what you can't stop time. Right. So why even, why even bother thinking about it much? Yeah. But you know, but every time I do bring up the fact that I'm turning forty, someone invariably goes, "Oh, you can have a midlife crisis. Like, maybe I'm having one right now. Well, like, what the fuck do you know about it? You know." I love how we're all just kind of entitled to that now. Oh, so you know, you gonna do that midlife crisis thing? Yeah. So where's your Porsche? <laughs> you picked out which one you want yet? <laughs> no. It's so eighties. It is right. What Porsche or? Yeah. yeah. Can it be like Tesla? Can you have a very oh, a pragmatic oh. midlife crisis? <laughs> like a totally, totally pragmatic and practical midlife crisis. Like pragmatic in the sense that an electric car makes a lot more sense in 2016 and you'd want to like contribute in that perspective. And four doors. And four doors. See, that's the practical. That's still practical then too. Right. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. I might, I might, you know, I'm going to get a Tesla. I totally believe that doesn't surprise me at all. Why? Because you, because I would get a Tesla. Oh, I thought you were, it was like some commentary on me. No, like that's, yeah. I like, I'm, I'm just not surprised. Yeah. I would love to get a Tesla minivan. Or like a Tesla, like wagon, like a sport wagon. I could go for the sport wagon. I can't. Yeah. I can't do the minivan. Come on, no, not there. Not there. Maybe in your future. So anyway, so I I get it. I guess so. You don't see yourself ever being a person that would like take your kid to temple like on a regular basis. No, not like on a regular basis. I think you know it would be nice if you could go to experience it every once in a while. Just like yeah. you know, going to church. I don't know if my in laws actually still go to church, but I wouldn't be opposed to him going. Sure, you know, just to soak it in and experience and see it. what it's like yeah i think like if you come up if you come up in a household that is more open-minded it's e- it's much easier to do that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. you, you know you because uh, this happened to me it's like you get ushered off to church and then you come home and it's like so what'd you think did you like it yeah great you can go back no okay you don't have to yeah. you know and i mean that's a that's a lot easier for for kids to digest i think mm-hmm. especially you know when things are rammed down their throat they either become programmed or they rebel right yeah and, you know, neither one of those is really, like, a great result, necessarily. No. <laughs> <laughs> or, and it might not be a very permanent result, either. It yeah. might be temporary. Yeah. I always think I would want my kids to try it. If they like it, great. If not, cool. Find something else that they want to do. And, you know, I, this is and this is not in light of, like, the fact that I'm a parent now. This is what I've always thought is... If I was a parent and I was this religion and my kid was this religion because that's what they liked more, then that would be great. Like, mm-hmm. that's their perspective and that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, but, you know, obviously it's pretty sad when you can't can't have that in some households. Oh, in many households. Yeah. What would your parents do if, like, you know, 
tomorrow you announce you're just going to be a Christian instead? Um, interesting you should ask. I remember asking my mom after college at some point, I found out that there was a Unitarian church in Philadelphia. What is Unitarian? Because I, I honestly don't even know. It's Uni- uniting the religions. Yes, it's uniting the religions. It's. <laughs> is do they have one of those coexist stickers with like all the different? I, that's exactly <laughs> what Unitarianism is. Are you serious? <laughs> Pretty much. It's it's very very open minded, um, but it is a church. I don't even know if it falls under the like, what's constructs the point? of Christianity. I think it's for people who are atheists or agnostics. Okay, but um, who want that assembly and want want a congregation want you know maybe they grew up they want with that community feeling they want, that community or that, feeling. They want mm-hmm. to like give give some sort of praise or prayer or blessing or something mm-hmm. like to a higher something right with a group of like-minded people or right. a group of people who are respectful of their you know presence i guess exactly my dog is eating my brand new pair of shoes <laughs> has been for a while now which is great because i just literally got them and they're <laughs> gonna have slobber marks i wore them for two days in oakland at a conference this week and he likes that new shoe smell. He likes the smell of Oakland on my feet. <laughs> what is the smell of Oakland on your feet? Oof, it's rough. You know, Oakland is the fastest growing rent cost city. Um, that doesn't surprise highest, me at it's, all. It's, 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 it, the, the cost of rent is rising faster in Oakland than any other American city. Oh, because it's the only bastion left in the Bay Area? It sucks. That place, that ain't the Bay Area in my childhood at all anymore. Mm-mm. It's a super bummer. Okay, so you would consider yourself a secular Jew? Yeah. And the reason we made this a topic is because we had a couple conversations about it before, and I remember you mentioning that you were, or that's how you would refer to yourself. So I was curious to get your perspective on it. That's my perspective. I mean, I think the great thing about being a secular Jew is that it means something different to different people, and you can take different aspects of Judaism. Flexibility is good. I think so, too. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a good thing. What, um, how does that... How does that, I mean, I, does that, do you think that that jives easier with liberal politics than, than if you were more of a kind of dyed in the wool a religious Jew? Yes, because I wouldn't consider myself necessarily a diehard Zionist either. And I think right now that's a pretty hot topic yeah. uh, politically. Talk about that a little bit. About the fact that I'm not a diehard Zionist no, about or the about fact the fact that, that it's a political, on, yeah. it's, yeah, the it's really interesting to me that the right has really latched onto Israel the way that they have. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of mind boggling to me. Why? Why does it boggle your mind? It doesn't boggle my mind. I think, <laughs> you know, partially it's being done to pander to older, wealthy, maybe people who have, socially considered themselves pretty liberal Mm -hmm. because it's a social issue Mm -hmm. and maybe i'm overthinking this but um overthinking is appreciated on this show (laughs) welcome to my mind (laughs) yeah it's good that's good so yeah it just it's interesting the new uh perspectives that the right and the left have on israel on israel and palestine what's your perspective on israel and palestine i don't know that i've really formed it completely yet to be perfectly honest yeah I still feel a pull um, to believe in the state of Israel and what it stands for. But I have a lot of sympathy, too. I mean, that's why I'm a nonprofit, let's be honest. <laughs> Is that why? You just, or were you just tired of the credit card company? I was definitely tired of the credit card company. It's much more fulfilling to me to have sympathy than not, than, you know, to. Sympathy or empathy? 
sympathy. I, I, are you not empathetic? It's not that I'm not empathetic. I oh. will be the first to admit that I can only be so empathetic. I can hypothetically put myself in someone's shoes and say that I could theoretically feel empathy, but until really coming close to being in someone else's situation, I don't think you really have empathy or I wouldn't qualify it as empathy. You don't think so? For me, no. I'm, I don't know if I'm Do Does that make you feel uncomfortable it. or something? Like trying to figure out what that's like for somebody else? Like, Oh, I mean, no, definitely. If it puts me in a place of having to imagine yeah. living in a war-torn region of the country or or world and or if it you know makes me have to you know really think hard about what it would be like to lose a parent or lose a child sure yeah that's gut-wrenching i don't it's almost like it sounds like it might just be i don't want to say too difficult for you but it yeah just, it totally is is that what it is yeah. really yeah that's weird I mean, weird to me. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I, I look at it like, I don't know. The empathy thing for me is a very logical driven thing for some reason. So it's very much mm. like, so as you know, my big passion in my professional career is homeless issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I work on domestic violence issues a lot too. And I mean, that's what I do now, right now professionally is, but I do that at the intersection of homelessness and what, what the two have to do with each other right. is, is where my wheelhouse is right now with work, but where my, you know, where my passion historically has always been, has been on homeless issues. Mm-hmm. But I don't like, I, I look at it and I mean, I see somebody who's homeless and I work with the homeless and I feel that heart wrenching sort of empathy as well. But at the same time, like I very much temper it with the logic of it. Right. Like, Oh, you have to, this person's homeless. This is unacceptable. Housing mm-hmm. should be a right. We don't do enough to keep people housed. Fuck this shit. This is bullshit. And I guess maybe that's the part, right? It's just more anger or yeah, maybe. cynicism about the reasons it's happening. But like, I don't, I don't have those. <laughs> he's looking <laughs> my armpit because he's the best. <laughs> he's, so he's amazing. Uh, but I don't know. I don't have that. I don't like for me, it's, it's almost just like the, like taking it on and, and, taking on the issue and working on it and figuring it out and fixing it as opposed to maybe that's why I didn't become a social worker. Right. Maybe that's why, <laughs> maybe that's why I got into this work and said, well, what I'm really good at is the business stuff. Right. Or like yeah. the management stuff and like the figuring out the mat, the more meta issue to a problem as opposed to like sitting one-on-one with someone and hearing about their, cause honestly, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. Cause that's a very pragmatic approach. And if yeah. you're saying you kind of think of empathy from a very logical standpoint, then that comports yeah. that totally. But, but it doesn't preclude me from like having, strong opinions about stuff or feeling like I have empathy for but things are, like in war-torn countries. Like I just, I fucking see kids getting blown up and I'm like, that's insane to me. Right. I mean like my son of all people had to do on president's day, a little project that said what he would do if he was president of the United States. So this, this gives you the perspective of like what we talk about in our house. Right. Okay. So he, he does this thing. It says, if I were president, um, I would, I would, um, I would stop all wars. I would stop, I would stop all wars. And what he says is, he goes, if I were president, I would stop all wars. First, I would destroy all bombs by throwing them away. Then we would talk <laughs> instead of fight. And just because it's, to me, it's it's just this second nature thing to us, right? To, to me and to how I would talk to my kids or talk to anybody like mm-hmm. war's fucking dumb, dude. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not even, it's, it's, and, and. People will look at, well, that's such a simplistic thing because, you know, there's boundaries and countries and cultures and clashes and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it, none of that has anything. To, no, stop. Just stop. None of that has anything that's to do with the fact. Why we're. Yeah. Right. Like you are dropping cluster bombs on people. There's no there's not justification for 
for killing people. I mean, there's just, I don't know. It's just, it's this weird sort of philosophical hurdle. I feel like either I'm too dumb to have figured out by now or, <laughs> or like I'm, again, I'm looking at things too simplistically, but just like, I'm just, I, I, I'm against all wars. Imagine that. Right. I mean, what a crazy concept, Crazy. but, but it does like, I don't get, but at the same time, I don't like watch the evening news and like cry. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do you? Local evening news? No. It's, no. <laughs> I cry because it's so bad. That squirrel but. could water ski. <laughs> <laughs> the panda's going to have a baby. <laughs> you know, Ron Burgundy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, that's not what ha- I just get pissed, I guess. Well, and I think, too, having grown up in a generation where the only war we've seen was after 9-11... And it was just I don't know. so there was that, completely... There was that first oh, Iraq, Iraq war. war. <laughs> Is that even a war? Yeah. We, yeah. It lasted like, well, like it lasted 30, a while. 30 days or something like that. I don't even know. I'd have to look it up. I, I don't know this kind of stuff. Did it? I think it was a few years. The invasion? No, it did not. The first Iraqi war? Un- under George Bush Sr. I don't, I don't think it lasted that long. Maybe I think it lasted that long because we had like part two and it it felt like there was a segue because there was never really an end to the yeah. first one we didn't mission was not accomplished yeah i yeah i don't know like it, and it, again just totally i mean i was in high school at the i mean time. it was the gulf war wasn't the iraq yes. war too you know what i mean so yeah it was from august of 1990 to february of 1991 so what is that like seven months yeah six months so and, and i think like it was pretty truncated. There was a minimal, there's minimal casualties to the U S it was handled in a completely different way. Um, Saddam Hussein was not removed from power, you know? So there's, there's all these things that like just didn't happen that did happen the second time around, which Mm -hmm. just make them completely just totally different things. Right. And I'm by no means any kind of war historian, so I don't know all the details, but yeah, I, I I do agree. But even then doesn't, doesn't what we were doesn't what was going on after nine eleven? It doesn't even that feel distant. Doesn't it feel like it really was? We we don't have wars on our borders. You know what I mean? We don't have wars on our territory. No, that's true. So it just feels. And so I wonder, like, what was it like for people growing up during World War Two, right? Where mm-hmm. Hitler was marching around Europe, taking over everything, you know, and Stalin couldn't be trusted. And then you had, you know, what was going on in Japan, you know, and it's like, talking about people here. Or people yeah, there? people here. Like, mm-hmm. was the, did they really feel the threat of of war coming to their soil? Because I. We, our generation this is what i would say this is this goes back to what your comment about mm-hmm. our generation right our generation has never felt that pressure right you know that's i'm um, yeah we don't have really well i would i would say the closest we have is maybe to the red menace <laughs> you know <laughs> now the way <laughs> do you remember watching red dawn as a kid thinking fuck that could actually happen i don't think i watched as a kid i think oh my I watched god really as a, yeah i think yeah. i have seen it like more recently i remember seeing as a kid wondering if i should get like my because like my dad had like five rifles and a gun cabinet and i remember like thinking myself i should find out where the key is just in case (laughs) and i should get myself (laughs) my dad did not have a rifle (laughs) cabinet my my dad was the coach of the robotics team your parents don't like guns i don't know if that's a don't they don't like them my dad was in the army was he yeah no way yeah you're very close with your parents huh i am yeah, you talk about them a lot, and I think it's cool. Do I? I yeah. like them. I really like my. And parents. you spend a lot of time with them. I do. I I'm very very lucky. They come out here for two and a half months every year. Two and a half months. They're out here right now. They came out in the beginning of January. They're here through the middle of March. Just retired people, right? Retired 
retired people. Just doing oh retired gosh. things. And they like beer. And they like beer. They do. It's great. Yeah. It was yeah. cool. I remember at United Way stopping in the stairs <laughs> and giving your dad all these tips on beer. They, when try. I when they were like asking what I was doing today, I told them I was gonna go and be on David's podcast. They're like, Which one is David? Where did you work with him again? I'm like yeah. United Way, you met him in the in the stairway. And they're <laughs> like, hilarious. Oh, the beer guy. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's so amazing. Yeah. Because they were going to beer week or you were going to be one of they were. They, they were, were going, going to, to San beer Francisco week. Beer yeah. Week and I told them about Kern River was gonna be there okay. with um with Citro, which is one of the greatest IP ever made by far and i told them to look for russian river stuff too oh yeah yeah <laughs> good times <laughs> speaking of good times you like baseball a lot i love baseball why um again i think it's it's like the cultural aspect i grew up with it i actually shouldn't say i grew up with it i grew up with it from the time i was about 10 when the mets were in the world series in 80 in 86 my brother started getting really Dwight into Gooden. baseball oh, daryl strawberry Keith I Hernandez. wore I wore Daryl Strawberry's number when I played softball. This is before, I thought you were, of course, all the allegations of him beating yeah, his wife yeah. came to light. Doing lots of coke. Some, lots somebody coke. on that team did a bunch of coke. Was it Doc Good? It was Doc Good. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So <laughs> conti- okay. continue all, with your Mets. All in the eighties. Um, so yeah. So I, I was ten when the when the Mets were in the World Series and when they won the World Series. Yeah, I remember it very clearly. Baseball became really exciting and yeah. we listened to it in our house and we watched it on the TV. My parents are not TV people and they were just glued to the TV for every game. I remember we would turn on the TV, turn down the volume on the TV and turn on the radio because we liked the radio announcers yep. better than the TV announcers. Yep. And my mom would get crazed. To this day, she calls herself a born-again Mets fan. <laughs> I cannot call the house during a Mets game because oh my God. she is like in another land. What was it like last year? Oh, forget it. I, I, I mean, last year, I even I was paying attention from out here as much as I could. I couldn't watch every game, obviously, but there were more on, on TV. I remember texting with you giving you shit <laughs> about it. Fair enough. Like, come on. Who? There are very few other fans that are more downtrodden than Mets fans. Not the truth. Who? Oh God, what? I mean yeah i mean it's i mean i can't yeah i can't think of many fan, i mean the cleveland indians in baseball would be the other like one of the other teams where i would go <sighs> nothing ever really seemed actually all cleveland sports to be honest <laughs> with you but, <laughs> but yeah i can't really think of many other teams where it's in baseball at least i mean the cubs obviously but it's yeah. like the cubs it's 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 i don't want to say it's a joke but i mean it's just talked to death about the drought right mm-hmm. so it's kind of like okay great you know it's just we get it but there's these i think what it is is there's these teams have optimism right so the mets will show sparks of brilliance where you're like (laughs) oh my gosh like what was it was it 2003 when they made the nlcs or i can't even remember but it was sometime there i think in the early 2000s right when they made the nlcs and um i don't know 2000 no i don't think it was 2003 what was it i don't know i can't remember after i moved here but was it no yeah i have a terrible memory Terrible, the terrible. Cu- no, Cubs Marlins was the NLCS in 2003. That's why I'm thinking of that, actually. That's why, because that's the Steve Bartman thing. So that's why I'm actually getting confused with that. But um, the the funny thing for me is like, so the Mets will show like, people will be like, oh, they could, oh, it was 2006. 2006 was the NLCS the Mets were in. Um, like, they'll show some, some promise. They'll be like, this is the great thing about baseball. This is the one thing I love about it is that right now it's February 20th. And everyone thinks their team is going to win the World <laughs> Series. Everybody. There is so much optimism right now for every single baseball fan, no matter who you root for. 
your team has a shot right now. And I don't know if I'm more justified in believing that because of how well the Mets did last year or more justified in not believing because (laughs) (laughs) because the Mets almost did it which means this year they'll be terrible I mean that could very well be the case I don't know we'll have to see and really I can't judge until well after like Memorial Day which is when they show their true colors yeah uh, yeah yeah the Mets do have a tendency to um they come out strong summer's when when they have good years they they come out strong Summer's historically not great for the Mets. Yeah. So what else do you like about baseball other than... than I love going to games. Yeah. I do not like watching baseball on TV. What? I love going to games. Really? See, I, I would rather watch it on TV. Oh, no. I'd rather go to the game. I think the, the, the best format for baseball is going back to what you were doing with your parents, radio. Baseball on the radio is beautiful. I can follow what's going on with baseball on the radio. I remember one year we were trying to listen to football on the radio and I could not follow. Yeah. I could not follow. Well, who the fuck wants to follow anything football? I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I just hate football. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> I like football. I love baseball. Yeah. I love baseball. Someone once told me that baseball is the most romantic of sports. And so I was trying to, I, I, and since then I've always, it's, it's stuck with me that they said that. And so I've always tried to kind of, I never like followed up with a question like, what do you mean or anything like that? But what I do think they meant is that, it's it's a sport that has people people who think baseball's boring miss the big picture, right? Because the game is situational. There's always a situation. Mm-hmm. Always. You could be the leadoff hitter in the game. It's zero zero. It's one oh five on a Wednesday afternoon day game. The situation is if the leadoff hitter gets on base X percentage of the time he has a tendency to take second and the cleanup hitter against left or the, the I'm sorry, the, the number two batter against the left-handed pitcher. You know what I'm saying? There's always a situation in baseball. There's yes. always something to look deeper at. And so that's why I think it's romantic, right? Is that there's always more than just what's on the surface. There's always like an exploration that can happen. Mm-hmm. There's always a newness of the situation where you're comparing statistics against each other, you know? And I think like, like romance baseball can be construed as hours of boredom and then moments of sheer terror right (laughs) so it's like like uh this again oh shit rad this is awesome you know what i mean it's like that's I think there's, and then I think there's like the historic history of it, right? The historical, the historical. That's when you said it was romantic. That's what I was like. Well, yeah, it has this really, it's so enshrined in our culture, right? right? It's American pastime, right? Right. And there's really something to that because it has this really rich history. Yeah. And a lot of us grew up with baseball. Yeah. I totally did. I mean, I'm a Giants guy. And so like I, my first baseball team was the Yankees. I have my picture of That's me. Okay. It was no, I know it was <laughs> 1984. I was eight years old. I first time I'd ever played little league and I only played two seasons, I think, or one season of little league, but I absolutely loved, I loved what baseball represented. And I think like this is kind of like sort of that romantic sort of, um, fascination with the sport, sort mm-hmm. of what it is to America and the historical sort of context of it and stuff like that was really like something I loved. Right. I loved, baseball cards and i loved keeping score at a game and i loved that you could get the players autographs after the game and i loved you know the the food and and the sound you know like a ball hitting a bat there's nothing that sounds like that there's just not you know and not a not a metal bat obviously but only the only thing in the world that sounds like a ball hitting a wooden bat is a ball hitting a wooden bat you yep. know there's just nothing the way the ball feels when it hits your mitt right dirt when you slide it's like all that stuff is so just and i mean other sports have that too basketball has those 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 aspects of it too that are just unique to it but 
something about baseball and then of course like you know i'm a, I'm 11 when field of dreams comes out right <laughs> and i mean is there a better representation for the romanticism of baseball <laughs> than field of dreams i saw that in theaters i remember watching that movie in theaters and we went with my parents good friends her my mom's friend's name is cherry and she's british and she was bawling yeah. in this movie oh, absolutely I would, I'd cry now if I watched it. I, mean, I I probably watch it once a year, and I always get choked up. I mean, the scene at the end with his dad. Do you want to have a catch? Yeah. You doing okay with that? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be fine. A little verklempt. It's okay. A little verklempt. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great movie. It is. It's, it's amazing. No, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's definitely one of my favorites of all time. When they pick up the kid who's the ghost of the kid, mm-hmm. right on the highway, and he's like, he's talking about, and this is like more of that romanticism, right? That whole idea that. You know, there used to be like these guys who would go from town to town and play like this really low level minor league baseball and work odd jobs and just like that's that's really cool because they wanted to do it. They, they just wanted to play really, baseball, like which brings to me to what it. I hate about baseball. Can you imagine what that is? Yeah, money. You're making the money symbol. God, I like that's why I, I hate the Yankees. Yeah, I don't blame you, but <laughs> you have reasons. but you have you have plenty of people on the Mets who make a lot of money too. Oh yeah. I mean, they all do, but like, I'm looking at like the 1987 giants right here. Cause that was like my first team I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And there's guys on this team that made less money than I do. I mean, this is, you know, 30, almost 30 years later or whatever. But I mean, there's guys here making very little money. I mean, very little money. There's only one person, Jeff, remember Jeffrey Leonard. Oh my God. I don't remember. He was Jeffrey an all-star Leonard. that year. Okay. Um, almost, almost a million dollars, but, wow. not quite, but not quite. Yeah. But there's guys here who, I mean, are, you know, I mean, guys who people knew making less than five hundred thousand dollars a year. Greg Mitten making seven fifty seems like kind of crazy. Um, Mackie Sa- or Chris Spear making two seventy five. I mean, it's just like I'm looking at these, remembering these guys and these names, and going, "Holy crap!" But that was the team of Matt Williams and Robbie Thompson and Will Clark, who a lot of people now think Will Clark's like a huge dickhead, but I don't, I don't know anything about him. Chili Davis was on that team, you know. Man, it was just. It was just that, I don't know, just that romantic piece of like baseball and heroes, you know? There's no sport that has heroes like baseball or had. I don't know about it these days, but. Yeah, you don't see, and I, I'm sure it exists, but you don't see the same kind of egos in baseball yeah. that you see in other sports. It's just yeah. a very down to earth. There is something kind of romantic about that. Yeah. That idealistic. I guess baseball, like working in nonprofits, like other things just kind of appeals to people who are a little bit idealistic i don't know mm-hmm. you know that makes sense yeah i always think like i i wish baseball was still like field of dreams you know what i mean i wish i wish there was i wish it had that feeling to it but it's hard because if you watch things like hot stove league this time of year and stuff like that and you're here or you know in months prior after the season ends and you're hearing about contracts getting signed mm-hmm. and trades and people getting in trouble and stuff you're like fuck this is not, <laughs> not what i signed up for well, and maybe it's because that information is more available to us now. Yeah. It always existed. Sure. It was always part of the game, but it wasn't part of the fan experience. Yeah, but clearly, you know, I mean, and it's interesting because it, for me, part of it is like I have to balance the whole social justice thing, right? I have to balance like my my desire to see income inequality change. I have to balance my desire to see, you know, people give more to causes that matter to me. Right. With the fact that some dude is making $25 million a year to throw a fucking baseball, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, in this political climate, the social climate, sometimes it's hard for me. Yeah. Makes it difficult. Even as a kid, I remember 
thinking like, wow, athletes make a lot of money and they're not even like saving anyone's life. It's like, <laughs> you know, like I know surgeons make a lot of money. I was probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 when I yeah. kind of had this revelation. So, I mean, athletes were making enough money at that right. point to. Do you ever, do you remember ever thinking like doctors and lawyers were the rich people? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. No. It's so weird, right? Yeah. It's weird. Like I remember like, oh, that dude's dad's a lawyer. Oh man, he drives a Corvette. Like he's mm-hmm. good. Look at that house they've got. I mean, yeah. Being an intellectual sometimes meant, or even a college professor or right. you know, something else, something with that kind of. Gravitas. That's exactly the word I was thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> That's well, funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, did you have fun? I had fun. Yeah. Is it time already? Yeah. Unless you got something else you want to talk about. Uh, No, we already talked about abortion. I'm good. I mean reproductive health. Reproductive health. Women's rights. Women's rights. That's good. Oh, we we didn't even get into women's rights overall. We can have you back sometime to talk about that. But it's, but it is time to go. Okay. I'm glad you had fun. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. Sorry the, it got pushed back to February. Uh, It's okay. It's all right. We're getting back on schedule here for 2016. So that's the show for February. Thank you for listening. Uh, as always, thank you to Ezra the dog for co-hosting and chewing on shoes. <laughs> and Dana. He chewed on Dana a lot. Um, and chewing on me and everything else. And listening to us um, talk intelligently and sometimes not about different topics. So I appreciate that. Um, thanks to John Holzer for editing the show. As always, John, um, he is uh, a great guy. And I really appreciate all his guidance and help with the podcast. And he is on Twitter and instagram at john holzer i am at dg after dark on twitter and instagram come say hi um the show is at 321 podcast on both of those as well next month not sure who's on the show yet we're going to be playing it by year but just keep uh keep on top of um the social media and livingminimal.com and i'm sure there'll be some announcements about it so until then be well be safe be good thanks come wave upon me from the family you'll take care of her i know it you will do a better job Maybe, but not what she deserves Elope with me, Miss Private, and we'll drink ourselves awake We'll taste the coffee houses and award certificates A privy seal to keep the feel of 1960 style We'll comment on the decor and we'll help the passerby And the dusk when work is over, we'll continue the debate Borrowed bedroom virginal and spare The catcher hits for 318 and catches every day The pitcher boots religion first and rests on holidays He goes into cathedrals and lies prostrate on the floor He knows the drink affects his speed, he's praying for it Doorway back into the life he wants in the confession of the bench Life outside a diamond is a wrench I wish that you were here with me to pass the dough weekend